Good evening. It is good to see each of you. If you're visiting, thank you so much for being with us. If you will open your Bibles to Hebrews, the 11th chapter. In just a moment, we'll begin there in Hebrews, the 11th chapter. And tonight, we'll continue the lesson that we began last Sunday evening, and it'll be a similar layout on the slides. So uh, the references for most of the passage will be there, but not the passages themselves. So uh, if you have your Bible handy, be sure and, and get that, and let's study God's Word together. You know, I... Uh, I've been biting my tongue for several Sunday nights, and I'm just tired of biting it. So I've got to share with you, you know, when, when I sit over there singing, and, and then when I'm up here preaching, and I see this wonderful group of, of mostly junior high and high school, and then I look over here to this group of, of these strapping young men in their 20s, and I just think, hey, if you guys eat your Wheaties, you could look like that one day. <laughs> you know, uh, you got to take care of yourself and stay in shape, but... But much more important than the physical is to think how awesome it is to see uh, young people at various ages faithful to God, and they're here every Sunday morning and every Sunday night and every Wednesday night serving God in, in worship and in Bible study, and it's such a great encouragement. Keep in mind that Bible class emphasis day is coming up. It's only a couple of weeks away, and there still are postcards out on some of the tables in the foyer. Uh, that you can send to individuals or give to those individuals when you invite them, that of course tells the date, tells our location, and tells the time that we begin. Please make sure, if you haven't already uh, made a list of five or six individuals that you're going to invite to your Bible class, be thinking about that this week, be praying about that this week, and make sure that we start getting those invitations out. What, what better thing could we do than to invite individuals to come and and to be a part of a Bible class that's studying the Word of God together. Let's make sure that we are all committed uh, to what that day is all about, and that is Bible study and urging others to study God's Word together with us. We're continuing a lesson that we began last week as we began with just the thought, what if there were a bus outside and, and that bus was was destination to heaven, and right now we had the opportunity to go and, and to spend an eternity with God, what would hold us back? And if we could say that there was something holding us back, probably the thing that would hold us back would be our lack of understanding of how awesome the other side truly will be. And so with that, we think about, well, what are we waiting for? You know, we, we hear people use that expression of speech often when someone's standing around. What are you waiting for? Well, when we talk about we want to go to heaven, well, really... What are we waiting for? Do we have a comprehension of what heaven is about? At least the things that God has revealed to us. Yes, there are many things about the other side that we don't know. But there is much that God has revealed. Using the same verse as a passage to launch us back into this study again, we're in Hebrews, the 11th chapter, and let's begin reading verse 8, 9, and 10. And notice about Abraham as he uses the phrase that he was waiting for this home in heaven. He says, By faith Abraham, this is Hebrews 11, verse 8, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to the place which he would receive an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. Now this is when God asked him to physically move. He was moving from one location to another, but when he arrived at the other destination, he didn't make it home. Notice how it reads. By faith, he dwelt in the land of promise as in a foreign country, dwelling in tents with Isaac and Jacob, their heirs with him of the same promise. Here it is. For he waited for the city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. So you could have went up to Abraham and said, Abraham, 
why aren't you making yourself at home on this earth? And he says, this isn't my home. Well, Abraham, what are you doing? And he says, I'm living here, but I'm waiting for the other side. I'm waiting for that city that God has made. For that city where God has has plowed the foundation, where He has built the existence of it. I'm waiting for that eternal home. Last week, we looked at the fact when we asked the question, what is heaven? And we looked at it being a place, described sometimes as a city, other times as a country. Second, we asked the question, where is heaven? And we looked at the fact that it is up. It's up where God is. It's where Christ returned, and it's where Christ is coming from. We looked at also the fact that it is to be the place that we... We place our heart, we place our devotion, we place our treasures. Then we ask the question, what is heaven like? And we looked at three passages there that says it's a place of wonder, it's a place of glory, and it's a place of worship. Tonight we're going to look at three more questions, and one we'll look at in a little more detail, and the other two we'll have to look at a little more quickly probably for time's sake alone. But let's look at this fourth question here, and let's ask the question, When are we going? That bus isn't setting out front. And so it's a very realistic question. It's a good question to ask. When are we going to heaven? Will it be immediately after our death? Now there's some debate from time to time about this, but let me show you a few passages. Turn with me, Will, to Luke, the 23rd chapter, in verse 43. Jesus was speaking to the one that we oftentimes identify as the thief on the cross. There's a criminal that was hanging beside Jesus that wanted to be welcomed into Christ's kingdom. And so these are the words of Jesus in Luke 23 and 43. Jesus says to him, Assuredly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Now notice there the word is used paradise instead of heaven. We look at Peter whenever he speaks of where Jesus went in Acts the second chapter in the sermon, notice how he calls it Hades, which is the realm of the dead. See, in in Acts the second chapter in verse 31, in the middle of Peter's sermon, he said, He, foreseeing this, spoke concerning the resurrection of the Christ, that his soul was not left in Hades, nor did his flesh see corruption. Well, during that time that Jesus was buried and his, his soul went into the grave or into Hades or into the realm of the dead, is that the same thing as heaven? Well, remember, heaven is where God is. And you remember, if you want to be turning back to John the 20th chapter, when Mary came to Jesus just after the resurrection, look in verse 17, in the 20th chapter in verse 17, And notice his words about whether or not he had been where God was. In verse 17, Jesus says to her, Do not cling to me. Now keep in mind, this is after the resurrection and before the ascension. Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to my Father. But go to my brethren and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father and to my God and to your God. You know, Luke the 16th chapter reveals the fact that after death for the rich man and for Lazarus, that they both went into some realm of the dead. And for one, it was already a sign of of rejoicing and comfort in Abraham's bosom for that that was saved for for Lazarus. But then for the rich man that was lost, he lifted his eyes being in torment. And so when we look at in the Scriptures and we say, when are we going to heaven? It's not yet, because the Scriptures tells us a few things that's going to happen before we exactly reach heaven. 
One thing is that Jesus has to come again. Look at John the 14th chapter in verse 3. And John the 14th chapter, listen to the wording, or if you're reading, notice the wording that's going to happen. This is where we looked last week at heaven being identified as a place. But notice what will happen before you and I go to that place. In verse 3, John 14, And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus is going to come again. And for those of us that have, will have deceased before then, there will be a great resurrection. For all those that will be alive at that time, there will be a great ascension into the clouds. Let's notice the resurrection as we see in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter. And uh, we could read this whole paragraph, but I believe verse 52 would make the point. When are we going to heaven? We will not go to heaven before that great and final resurrection. Notice how it's mentioned in verse 52. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. So before we can be changed, we have to go through that resurrection and we have to be changed before we can enter into that heaven. 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter. I don't think it's on your screen there, but in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, in verse 16 and 17, gives us tremendous insight to this. Those in Thessalonica were so worried that the ones that they loved had already died before Jesus came again, and they were going to miss out on that resurrection. They were going to miss out on the opportunity of going to heaven. And so Paul writes and clarifies, they're not going to miss out on the opportunity. They're going to have the first opportunity. Notice how he says it here in 1 Thessalonians, the fourth chapter, 16 and 17. For the Lord Himself will descend from heaven. Notice, that's what we looked at last week. That's where Christ is now. He's going to descend from heaven with a shout. In other words, that's to get everybody's attention. Today we shout to get attention. Everybody's going to have uh, their attention focused on the Lord. With the voice of an archangel and with the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and thus we shall always be with our Lord. And where's the Lord? The Lord's in heaven. When are we going to be with the Lord in heaven? Whenever He comes again. Whenever there's that great resurrection. Whenever there's that change of the bodies. And that resurrection, those that have died in the Lord will first be resurrected. Those that remain will then be called up. Notice, nowhere in the Scriptures does it teach that Jesus is coming back to reign on this earth. All we read in the Scriptures is that He's coming back to the clouds and those on the earth will ascend up to Him. So when are we going into heaven? We'll go into heaven when the Lord comes again and there's that great and final day of resurrection. Another mark, if you will, in the time that we'll go into heaven. Look in 2 Peter the third chapter. In 2 Peter the third chapter in verse 10. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. So the earth as we know it, and then as we think about the sky above us, all of this is going to be destroyed. All of this is going to be burned up before we enter into heaven. 
Now, I don't know if once we're on that cloud, we're literally going to be able to look over our shoulder and see all of it burn up. But the way it's presented in the Scriptures, the timing could be like that. Now, that's interesting. If we place all of our emphasis on this earth, that one day, whether we see it or not, the fact is true. It's all going to be burned. If I invest my heart and soul in a perfect yard, a perfect house, a perfect car, the just right wardrobe, I'm going to look over my shoulders, so to speak, one day and see it all burn. I need to think where I invest my heart. There's nothing wrong with having hobbies and enjoying keeping a house or a yard a certain way. There's nothing wrong with that, and it's right priority. But I need to make sure that my relationship with God is first and foremost, and my relationship with others and with my family is first and foremost, and that I am investing my life in spiritual works that are going to live on for eternity, and that I'm giving treasures that will be sent to heaven waiting upon us. Wouldn't it be a shame if everything I invest in my life in is the very thing that's burned up? And so we think about, when's it going to be? When the earth has been burned up. Let's look at two more about when it's going to be. It's going to be that we enter into heaven after the judgment. Look to Matthew the 25th chapter. Matthew the 25th chapter, and we begin reading at 31. This is a very eye-opening view of what judgment might look like, and I dare say any of us here can imagine exactly this number of people. You just try to imagine the largest number of people you've ever seen and then try to imagine this crowd. Maybe you're imagining a stadium that you've been in, or maybe a, a parade scene in a huge city. But you imagine this crowd, beginning at 31, Matthew 25, when the Son of Man comes in His glory, and all the holy angels with Him, then He will sit on the throne of His glory. All the nations will be gathered before Him. See, all that's ever lived, all that that are living now, and all that will live until Jesus comes again, all will be there. Friends, we will be in the company of George Washington, of the Apostle Paul, of Adam and Eve. We'll be in the company of Elijah and Elisha. We'll be in the company of Napoleon. You name it. Anybody that's ever lived, they're going to be gathered on this day, and there's going to be one that is the focus of all attention, and it's going to be the one on the throne. And even the holy angels coming around are giving focus and attention to Him. And here's how the rest of the day unfolds as is revealed here. And He will separate them one from another as a shepherd divides his sheep from the goats. And He will set the sheep on His right hand, but the goats on the left. Then the King will say to those on the right hand, His right hand, Come, you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundations of the world. When are we going to go? We're not going to be delivered into the Father until there's been that day of divide. The, day, the word judgment in root literally means to divide. In other words, if, if you and I are going to make a judgment about whether or not we're going to go out and, and eat tonight, we can't do both. We either are or we aren't. 
Our decision is a divide. The day of judgment is a divide. Who is going to be delivered up into heaven? The Lord is going to place all of those on the right side, and they are going to be delivered up into heaven. There has to be that day of divide. Other passages speak more about every knee bowing and every tongue confessing and, and us giving account of all the deeds. But here, it's simply mentioned as a divide. We have to go through that judgment before we can be delivered to the Father. But finally, under this point, let's notice in 1 Corinthians, the 15th chapter, 24 through 26. And as we read this, I'd like for you and I, the times that we really, really want to take vengeance ourselves, at the times where we're gritting our teeth and we're saying to ourselves, if I were not a Christian, I'd do different right now. When will the score be settled? When will Satan be put in his place once and for all? When will all powers of evil have their final blow? It'll be before you and I go to heaven. And here's how it's written here in 1 Corinthians 15, 24 through 26. Then comes the end. When He delivers the kingdom to God the Father, when He puts an end to all rule, all authority, and power. For He must reign till He has put all enemies under His feet. The last enemy that will be destroyed is death. For He has put all things under His feet. But when He says all things are put under Him, it is evident that He who put all things under Him is accepted. Now when all things are made subject to Him, then the Son Himself will also be subject, subject to Him who put all things under Him, that God may be all in all. A little bit wordy there. But here's the bottom line. Before we're delivered to the Father, Christ will have all authority. Remember in the very end of Matthew, all authority was given to Him. Before He gives up that all authority, He is going to make sure that every enemy is destroyed. Vengeance is God, says the Lord. I will repay. What's the last enemy? We don't have to guess. The last enemy will be death. No more separation. Once that takes place, He is then ready to deliver us to the Father and say that that task, as it is, is completely finished. Those are things that must come to pass when we ask the question, when are we going? In this next slide, let's think about what are we going to do? And you'll see several things there. And what I'd like to do is mention Scriptures to you and perhaps only look at two of these uh, for expediency's sake of time. What are we going to do? Number one, we're going to live forever. You know, when you look at the beginning of the Bible, you see the tree of life. But if you notice as you read through the Bible, you don't see it again, really, until the very end of the Bible. In Revelation, the 22nd chapter, in verse 1 and 2, there it is, finally. We read of the tree of life. Last time we saw it was the Garden of Eden. Where is it now? It's in heaven. And we read that we can drink of the waters of life from that river that's flowing through the middle of heaven and then that tree that's growing on both sides. And the beauty of that tree is the symbolism that is 12 fruits. In other words, there's a fruit for every season. That gives us nourishment. And then the leaves are for healing. And so that keeps us well. And so we see from the symbolism there that we're going to live forever because of the way God has designed heaven and the, by the way our bodies 
will be changed. A second thing is that we'll be confessed by Christ. Christ boldly says in Matthew the 10th chapter that if we confess Him on earth before men, He'll confess us before His Father which is in heaven. Won't it be grand to hear your name being said by Jesus Christ before the Father? Father, you can accept. He says your name. He's confessed us on earth. He stood up for me on earth, Father. And I'm standing up for Him now. That's one of the things that we're going to be doing. Another thing we read in Revelations 3 and 21, we'll sit on the throne with Christ because He gave the plea to those of Laodicea that if they would overcome that they could sit on the throne with Him just as when He overcame the tribulations of this earth, the Father allowed Him to sit on the throne with Him. Also, we're going to enjoy the inheritance with Christ. As a matter of fact, Romans declares that it's a joint inheritance. If we are willing, it says in this passage, to suffer jointly with Christ, we can also share jointly in the inheritance. But notice if you want to turn back to Matthew the 8th chapter. This is an interesting reading in Matthew the 8th chapter. It's tucked away in the middle of the story of Jesus healing the centurion's servant. And here we find out that there's going to be uh, identity in heaven. In other words, you're going to be you in heaven. What are you going to be doing? You're going to be you. Are you going to be the physical self as you are now? No, it's going to be changed bodies. But the idea that everyone is going to be a spirit that no one recognizes or no one knows, that's not biblical. Instead, we read things like this as we read in the 8th chapter. Look at verse 11. He says, I say to you that many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. Friends, Jesus makes it very clear. Abraham's going to be known as Abraham in heaven. His sons are going to be known as his sons in heaven. And so it is, we can look forward to a great reunion in that sense with those that we have loved, with those that we have worshipped together, those that, that we have served together on this earth. We can know each other for an eternity. Also, in Revelations, the 22nd chapter in verse 4, it's a short verse, but let's read this verse. It's powerful. He's already talked about in the 22nd chapter of the tree of life and the water. But notice what he says in 4. This is something else that we're going to be doing in heaven. He says, They shall see His face, and His name shall be on their foreheads. You can talk to somebody. You can email them. You can talk on the phone. Landlines, cell phones, you can write them letters. You can think about them. It's just not the same as, as sitting down face to face. That's what we really long to do, isn't it? It's to just sit down face to face with someone that we love and share time with them. Going back to last week, if our heart is really set upon heaven and wanting to spend an eternity with God, one of the greatest aspects of heaven will be that moment when we finally come face to face with God. You remember back in Exodus, that's what Moses wanted so much. Lord, I just want to see your face. 
Remember, God said, you can't see my face. It's too much glory for man to behold. See, we'll have a changed body. And with our changed body, we can see His face. Friends, we don't have time to strongly develop this, but if I could just say this. If you look back in the Scriptures, and even read in the Psalms, godly people have longed to see the face of God. And here, real close to the very close of the Scriptures, what does God reveal to us? He reveals another godly man's writing where that godly man gives us a vision by, by inspiration here, gives us a vision of what heaven's going to be like, and it's that reminder again. You're going to be able to see God face to face. What a beautiful thing we will be doing. Also in Revelations, the fourth chapter, Revelation 19th chapter, Isaiah the sixth chapter, many passages teach and and, uh, and others strongly imply that we're going to be doing a lot of worshiping there. And so those that love to adore the face of God, they love to adore the works of God, they love to adore the character of God, they love to adore the deity and the almightiness of God, those individuals are going to love being in heaven because they'll have an eternity to pour out their adoration to God. But let's close this by asking a sixth question and doing this just like we did the last slide. Let's just mention a few of these. And that is, who is going to heaven? Now friends, tonight, let's answer this question not the way we would like to answer it from a human standpoint. Let's answer this simply as the Word of God answers it. The first thing we'd have to say is not everyone. In Matthew the 7th chapter, he made it very clear, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. And so it's not everybody that prophesies in the name of Jesus. It's not everybody that does wonderful works. It's going to be those that have fully submitted their life to God and obedience to God. Turn with me, if you will, to Romans, the seventh chapter. In Romans, the seventh chapter, we believe that those babies and those children that have not reached an accountable age, they'll be in heaven. Remember back in Matthew, Jesus called a child out and He said because of their, their humbleness, He says, that's what the kingdom of heaven is made of. And such is the kingdom of heaven. And so, so as we see the emphasis throughout the Scriptures that children, it's not that they're saved. Children are safe. They're safe with God. Notice here, Romans, the uh, 7th chapter and verse 9. Uh, it would really be best if we study this in all the the verses around it. And we don't have time tonight, so I hope I'm not confusing something. Uh, I hope this brief explanation can bring clarity to really a difficult chapter. Uh, you know, one of the other inspired writers said Paul could write some difficult tasks. I've oftentimes thought, mm-hmm, he was talking about Romans 7. But notice here in Romans 7 and verse 9, Paul talks about a time in his life where he says, I was alive once without the law. But when the commandment came... Sin revived, in other words, sin came alive, and I died. How could someone be alive spiritually without the law of God or Christ, but then sometime later, sin becomes alive, and then that separates them spiritually from God? Paul was speaking about the time in his youth where he was not old enough to be held accountable. He didn't understand the law. He didn't understand godliness. But when the commandment came, in other words, when his understanding came, the more he learned of the will of God, the more he recognized that he wasn't perfect. 
that sin separated him from his God. And he says, then I found myself dead. So who's going to be in heaven? Those that are not old enough to understand or they do not have the mental capacity uh, uh, because of handicaps and etc. to understand the will of God and the law of God, uh, they can surely enjoy uh, the blessings of heaven as it's stated in the Scriptures. Also, we see that those that are in Christ, 1 John, the fifth chapter, talks about those that are in Christ will be those that are saved. Romans, the sixth chapter, in verse 3, talks about those that are baptized into Christ, tells us how to start that life in Christ. Also, those that have their names in the book of life are going to be those that enjoy that eternal life. It's important whether or not our name is there. You know, we can have our name written on a lot of things. We can have our name written on a big pay stub. We can have our name written in lights. We can have our name written in books. What really matters is if our name is written in the book of life. And those that did not have their name written in the book of life, Revelations, the 20th chapter and verse 15, are those that were cast in the lake of fire. Also, 2 Peter 3 tells us in 11 and 12 that it's those that are looking for the coming of the Lord that will enjoy heaven. That is a huge point. I may have mentioned this to you last week, but allow me to mention again in this, under the context of this verse. No one is going to enter into the pearly gates of heaven and say, I can't believe I made it. I never expected this. I wasn't even planning on being here. Can you believe it? No. People that are making it into heaven are going to say, I gave my life for this. I know it's by God's grace, but I've been looking forward to this day. I have served my God. I have worshipped my God. I've dedicated my life to this God. I'm so thankful that I can spend eternity with the Almighty God. It's those that are looking. There will not be surprises in heaven. The ones that make it to heaven, it's not because of belief in their own righteousness, but in the righteousness of God and knowing that they have submitted their life to the Almighty God. First John, the first chapter, verses 7 through 9, tells us that it's also going to be those that are continually cleansed by the blood of Christ. And those that are continually cleansed are those that have walked in the light as He is in the light. And so it is. It's not just coming at first into a right relationship with God, but it's remaining faithful in that right relationship with God are those that can die faithful and can enjoy the pleasures of spending an eternity with God. As we close, back to that illustration of the bus. David Burke told me last Sunday night after the service about C.S. Lewis writing where he wrote about a bus that left hell and went into heaven. And of course, it's a fictitious story, but it, it has a lot of philosophy and theology in it, and it really makes you stop and think. What was interesting is Lewis wrote that in response to a book that was titled The Great Marriage. This writer wrote this book saying that eventually anyone will end up in heaven. That sounds familiar today, doesn't it? You hear people, no matter how they live, at their funeral, people talk about how they're no doubt enjoying heaven at this time. Isn't that interesting? They don't talk about heaven, they don't live for heaven, they don't serve God, but yet in their funeral, everybody's going to end up there. Well, that was the writing of the great marriage. And so C.S. Lewis wrote a book to respond to that, to show how, from the Scriptures, that was silly. 
And so he called his book, instead of The Great Marriage, he called his book The Great Divorce. And he showed how there were characters in his book that were riding this bus from hell to heaven. And you know, a lot of them didn't like it there. The one that was famous found out that he couldn't be famous. It wasn't all about him in heaven, and he wanted to get back on the bus and go back. The one that, that was the great survivor, he made it on his own. He got to heaven and found out that it wasn't for those that made it on their own. He wanted to go back. I know that's just C.S. Lewis trying to make us think. But you know, there are people that by their heart and by their life and by their nature and by their godliness and their spiritual life, they're preparing themselves by God's grace to enjoy an eternity with God. And there are others by their life, whether they realize it or not, they're saying by their actions, I wouldn't enjoy heaven either, anyways. What does your life say tonight? I mean, really, if we took the characteristics of heaven and the things that, that you do and you enjoy right now in your heart, could it be said, you're going to love heaven? If not, we're missing the essence of life. We're missing the purpose for living. We're missing what we're created to do. That is, serve God, be faithful to Him, and to go spend an eternity with Him. Tonight, let's all evaluate. None of us are perfect but let's make sure that we're all forgiven. Let's make sure we're molding and cultivating a heart that hungers to see the face of God. If you've never been baptized into Christ for the mission of your sins, wouldn't tonight be a wonderful opportunity to, to put our life on the right track, and that's with God. If you have been baptized and somewhere along the way you, you've been separated from God because of your sins and your iniquities have separated you and you want to confess sin and pray forgiveness, let's make sure that we're living so as to enjoy that eternity with God. If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing. In the land of